round table. It's a round table minus a round table. So uh, welcome. And so uh, a lot of you guys submitted questions, gave us questions, um, some emailed, some will be coming through Facebook, which you guys can submit right there in the chat, that those who are watching. Um, let's do this. This would be totally awesome. If you go to Todd's Facebook right now, the public Facebook, you can actually share this, and other people could uh, join us and be a part of it. So here's your moment to open your phone in church. Not that we... You can see, you can hear me talking, and then you could uh, share it. It's a delight. A delight. It, 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 the, <laughs> the, what? <laughs> so. Yeah, it is. Because it's delight. I just shared it. All right. Well, let's, let's open in prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for your presence. We ask that, let it, Holy Spirit, that you just come right now. Let your counsel come. Let your wisdom come. Let your, let your spirit abide right now. Yeah. Let, we ask for this, just the spirit of wisdom and revelation to be with us. Come on. Understanding. Let your angels, we want to tap into that realm of this knowledge that sits in the mind of God right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Wow. It's going to be good. So I want to start with one of the uh, first questions. And I think this would be, uh, either any of us could answer this one, but I think it's a good one. It's a question that everybody tends to, to ask when it comes to dreams. How can you tell if what you're dreaming is just like, is it just a pizza dream, like from what you ate not the night before? Or, you know, uh, is it a walking dead dream? You know, you just watch the last episode and then all of a sudden you're like, you're just, you have these weird dreams about whatever, you know, like how, what would you say is the best way to discern that? Adam, you can you want me to start? Any, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, personally, I don't believe in pizza dreams. I do believe that every dream, there's a message behind it. Mm. And uh, God's not the author of every dream, uh, but God can allow some dreams. So uh, if you have a dream that's very abstract and very um, strange, I always joke around like if, if, you know, if you have a dream of your mother-in-law's mother -law, mother heads in a fishbowl or something like that... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not because you had too much pizza. There could be a parable behind that. Okay, okay. Yeah. Hopefully it's a good one. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, but it is actually symbolic. So, for example, when Peter was on the rooftop, and I'm talking in the vision sense here, that he went into a trance and he had uh, a dream of the unclean animals that came down, which represented the Gentiles. He could have thought that's a really bizarre dream of these unclean animals, and the voice said, kill and eat. Um, he probably thought that was maybe he had too much peace the night before, but it's actually a symbolic. Right, right. And God can speak to you through those symbols as parables rather than literal. So because you have a dream that's literal, 
there can be a parable behind that, but also there can be two layers. You can God can be speaking to you literally about some some event that's coming up or a warning. It could reveal the plans of the enemy, but also be around that story, the narrative of the dream, there can be a parable as well. Uh, but if it's a really out there and abstract, it is it is a mystery God's revealing. And, and uh, the more you spend time with him and, and be intimate with him and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal you the mystery, he'll give you the wisdom to unlock it. That's good. So um, the British Cheese Board did a study. We're talking about pizza dreams. And they found that 65% of people who had something like 10 grams or you know, a gram of cheese, a certain amount, an ounce of cheese before they went to bed, 10 minutes before they went to bed, they dreamed more lucid dreams than those that didn't have the cheese. So it could well be a pizza dream, but who cares? Because you know, God can speak to us through God, what we call God dreams, you know, dreams that the enemy may influence, and our own heart dreams. But God is sovereign. He, he, he's overall. And so we know that Jesus had an experience in the wilderness where the devil projected a vision. Mm-hmm. Who was in control? Who took Jesus into the wilderness? The Spirit of God drove Jesus into the wilderness, did he not? So therefore, God was in control. So God is sovereign and understands whether your dream has been brought on by cheese or by circumstance or by a horror movie or by whatever it is that's being influencing your heart at that time, and God can speak into that. Ours, for interpreters, is to understand what, which source it is and then speak out of that, see what God's saying from that situation. And something else to remember is that whenever, you are, whenever you're dreaming, God is speaking to you in, in, in the code language that's inside of you. So basically, whatever you're feeding your heart with, God is going to use that language to translate. So your spirit is receiving the revelation and your soul is translating it, okay, through a symbol. And God uses those symbols. And so it's important to feed your spirit and your soul with things that, you know, you want to build healthy language. But like he's saying, God is sovereign and, um, and he, can, he can, you know, he can plant revelation and, and use those dreams to teach you something. And even if you're dreaming about what you do, during your day, a lot of people I know discard dreams because it's what they went through in that day, like an action or maybe something that you do at work. And I tell them, don't discard those dreams because God is using those everyday things Absolutely. to speak to you um, in a way that is very simple. It doesn't have to be super obscure. It can be abstract, but there's sometimes that you just need really practical correction and advice. And so God uses the practical things to speak to you. Does that yeah. make sense? I mean, also you get taken into consideration that God spoke through a donkey. Like, so if, if God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through pizza too. You know, why not? You know? Amen. He's the Lord of pizzas and he's <laughs> Lord of us. And so like, you know, with, with that, I mean, you'd be surprised and God can speak through secular music to you. God can speak through yes. uh, various different things throughout, you know, that surround you. And God's always speaking. It's whether or not we're tuned into the right channel That's sometimes. Right. That's great. You know, whether or not he's actually, uh, what he's saying and what he's speaking to you in that moment. So the dream could be the, what you consider maybe a soul dream or something. It, it could, what's being dreamt of in that moment could be irrelevant and God's still speaking to you, you know. And so it's, uh, you know, I always say, like, you know, with revelation is sometimes it's, you know, sometimes a box is just a box, but sometimes it isn't. And in other words, sometimes you, part of it is discerning. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and getting to know God in, in how he speaks to you. So I think, th- I think that's really important. Um, one of the questions that did come up, and which, I mean, we see this all the time in ministry, and I think sometimes we just do it out of instinct and when ministering to people is, uh, what does it mean and why do ministers tend to blow on people when they're praying for them? Well, um, I always say that um, if you read John 20, uh, Jesus breathed on his disciples, blew on them. I believe he blew on them, as, he, as it says, breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And I believe that even Jesus is the breath of life in the book of Genesis. Uh, and when you breathe on somebody, sometimes I do it, I don't do it with everybody. But if I do that, there's an impartation. Uh, and sometimes uh, uh, someone thought I was spitting on somebody, but that's not the facts. It's actually you're breathing on them and they're actually receiving impartation. There's evidence of manifestations and people going down in the power. But I do believe it's just, it is an example of Jesus. Lord, show me this in the scriptures of John 20 when he was with his disciples. I think that's good, Adam. I think that really answers the question. You know, ultimately, the Spirit of God is the breath of God. And if we did, we were to breathe on someone, then we're doing that. Maybe we do that as well so that we're not making a physical contact. And sometimes God would tell us not to lay hands on someone. Maybe it's a woman that's uh, in some way been, uh, there's an association wrongly with a man for some reason, you know, and so therefore it may, it may be that God directs you to breathe rather, and impart via the Spirit of God rather than some physical touch. Yeah, and I think a lot of times for me personally, I just, I, I as a minister have to learn how to read the flow of the anointing in an impartation. And so when I'm praying for people, I will, you know, either lay hands on them or just release out of my spirit just in prayer. But sometimes, God, um, there's a way that the anointing is flowing and there's a way for that person to receive. And sometimes the flow is the breath. And so you have to learn how to read the flow of the anointing when you're imparting to people and how God is moving. And sometimes um, there's a there's direction like uh, like you were saying, Adrian, that um, that the Lord will give sometimes a specific like blow on them because it's attached to to a gift of faith. And so the act as the minister as a minister, whenever they act on that, there's a release and an activation that happens. Other times it might be another thing. You know, it just depends on what God is saying and uh, wanting you to to do and how to move with the anointing. But a lot of it is just flowing with the anointing and knowing how to impart to people. Can I just add more to that? Yeah. When you get something in the Holy Ghost, uh, and I always teach this, that if you, you know, word of knowledge or blowing on somebody, you really need to step out. It's like walking the plank. And uh, it's, it, everything's done by faith. Everything you see Adrian and I do, and um, we, we, we actually do it by faith when we step out with the words of knowledge. Uh, and it can be scary. It's like walking the plank. And at the end of the plank, Jesus always reveals himself. But he will cover yourself. As, he'll cover you if something goes wrong. And the reason why I'm bringing this up, I remember I want to tell this funny story where I was in Melbourne and I breathed on everybody. So don't be afraid if I actually blow on you. But there's one particular story where there's this young man and I said, receive the Holy Spirit. And I blew on him and accidentally spat on him. Right? <laughs> was he blind? <laughs> Good question. And uh, I just felt so terrible. But the, he actually went down in the power and he was shaking violently. But I felt very terrible because I, you know, I, I spat on him. But the mother came up and she said, 
No, because we was anointing people with oil. And she went, no, that was better than the oil. (laughs) (laughs) I just rang my, the pastor, that a friend of mine, who I was involved with the church back at Adelaide, said, oh, he wouldn't believe what I did. I just spat on somebody instead of blowing on somebody. And he said, that's what you called the, it's called the glory of gob. <laughs> but, uh, but see, but you, when you step out, my point is you step out, something might go wrong, but God covers it. Right. But he had a massive impartation. I just don't get it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, also, I, mean, also I, I, I think of, you know, the breath of God, the ruach of God, the spirit of God. And when, you know, when God created Adam, he breathed life into him, the ruach, the spirit of God that came into him. Yeah. And the ruach meaning is of... Like when you dig into it, it talks about an impartation of God's spirit, but it also speaks of like a a revitalization of energy that comes in. It says it's like similar to like the um, like the endorphins and uh, everything that comes into like like an ancient warrior in a sense of like it brings that type of like adrenaline to somebody. And so like when you're breathing into somebody, you maybe it could be an act of faith. It could be uh, symbolic, but it also could be sparking life into the thing that it's being also imparted. It's kind of like jump, like jump starting a car in a sense. It's like, well, the car is there and every, it just, it just needs a little, you know? And so like releasing that breath could be releasing the, of God, you know, into somebody and releasing that energy uh, and, and that impartation of uh, what God's doing in that moment. That's so it's good. like, it's not, you know, it, it, it does, we do a lot of things, you know, by faith, I think sometimes that look kind of interesting to people. Like I always joke about like how when everyone responds to a word of knowledge to about their shoulder, they're like, I haven't been able to do this in 20 years. And I'm like, when was the last time you tried to be a helicopter? You know, like, why are you spinning your arm like this all the time? <laughs> you know, but uh, apparently that's a big deal for some people. Um, but, uh, and so, um, you know, we do, but we do a lot of different stuff by faith and sometimes it has like scriptural meetings and other times it's just become cultural, you know? And so some cultures may have something that's a little bit more prevalent to them versus, you know, other cultures, maybe not. Um, but I mean, it's, it's, uh, sometimes it's spit, <laughs> but it's always good to have fresh breath. Amen. I've actually also seen Wesley that, um, when you do breathe on, onto someone, mm-hmm. I've seen deliverance take place. And if you envisage that person in front of you as the house of God or the temple of God, then you are breathing the Spirit of God to come and fill that temple. And if there's anything hiding in any side rooms, however you picture what's going on there, I, I would normally pray that every door be open to that light and to the Spirit of God. Let it come into every... And then uh, I've seen lots of deliverance take place like that. I've seen that happen with you. Yeah, well, I, when you... I got to, delivered. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I've seen you... I've actually witnessed you do that, and yeah. there's been deliverance, which yes. is great. Adrian got set free. Adrian got set free. Next. <laughs> Next. So when doing dream interpretation for yourself... Um, how do you discern... Like, I know this kind of goes back to the pizza dream, but how do you discern... Like the dream in that moment, as far as it, like something of like a, you know, it goes back into the soul realm, or is it the God realm, or like, um, you know, I remember at, you know one point that, you know, John Paul would talk about like you know color schemes of dreams and things like that would sometimes help people discern. But then, you know, there's other there's so many various teachings out there 
um, as far as like they'll teach in like the schematics of colors. Muted colors mean this. Black and white means this. I once heard a dream. I once heard that people that were uh, that dreamt in cartoons was a higher level of spirituality, and um, you know, so like people that are having like Roger Rabbit dreams or something like that were dream higher, you know, higher spiritually. I mean, how do you? How would you guys say is a great way to discern that? Well. Um, as we teach Adrian and I, it's not a formula. Right. All right. So, you, so because it's this doesn't mean it's that, you know. But um, I can't really, you know, we're, we're pretty straightforward guys. And if we, if we don't really know, we won't say, yes, we agree. Because I don't really know about whether if someone has a, a dream in black and white, it means soulish. I don't, I've never really heard that before. But what I do know is, is that um, uh, you can have a soulish dream and it can reveal the heart. For example... Uh, we've had this plenty of times where if you have a church and you've got many people in your church, we, my, I, you know, I've been involved with church planting in Adelaide with a friend of mine called Todd Weatherly, and we've had people come in, and you have this really handsome, single, good-looking man who'll come into the church, you know, it looks like Favio or something like that, and, you know, and then all of a sudden these young women, 20 women, will have a dream that he's going to be their husband. And you go, well, gosh, which one's that? You know, which, which one's of God? I mean, they're all having dreams that this man's going to be their husband. Well, um, what that is really doing is revealing the soul, okay? The, the soulish realm is revealing the, 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 the soulish desires. And Adrian, you might want to add about that, about the, um, the idol of the heart we, t we teach. Well, I was teaching that today, so... Those were, that were here this morning about Ezekiel 14 says, if a man comes to me and desires guidance from me, comes to the prophet and has an idol in his heart, I, the Lord, will answer him according to the idol. Yeah, so when it, when it comes to, uh, especially with counselling, if you're a counsellor, it's very good to discern what's going on in the soul when you hear somebody's dreams and you do practice your discernment. It says in Ephesians 5, you go from milk to solid food and you practice your discernment. So... You don't overnight, I don't believe you have this great wisdom to discern what's going on in your dreams. It takes practice, and you ask the Holy Spirit to help you. But, but I do believe that dreams can reveal the soulish heart, the soulish desires, and it's different to a dream that might be an encounter from God. Can, can I add to this? You know, if, if, if I'm the dreamer, often it's very hard to see something that God's addressing in my life, and I always want to project it away onto some other situation. But really, it, I should look first at, at my heart. Um, a lot of the times, God's correcting me. I'm talking about me, all right? The flesh in me. And so if, if that's a situation, then God's... Uh, and then I know from uh, Hebrews 12 that I'm a, a beloved son. I'm a son that he cares about because, because he's correcting me, all right? And so it, it's not always easy for people for people to recognize or to acknowledge that God wants to do something in them. And they tend to think that everybody else is all together and they want to attain that altogetherness. But the truth of the matter is we're all being corrected, we're all being refined, and we're all in the journey to be. When we see him, we'll be like him, but we're not there yet. Yeah, for me, um, I think one of the key things is that it's really trial and error. Like, there isn't a formula. You're going to have to develop your language with the Lord and know how... Um, you know, how to, how to discern what's what, and it only comes just by practice. 
But something that I look for, if I'm, if I'm, you know, I dream every day. And if, I, if I'm trying to process a dream, whether it's from the soul or if it's from the spirit, um, I will look for a couple of things. I will look how, if it repeats itself. Um, you know, I, I'll give God time to, to move on my heart again. If it's, if it's the Lord, he's going to keep on prodding and prodding and prodding. So I look for that. Another thing that I look for is that I, I have developed strong of a language with God, dream language, where I know um, there's a sor- certain filter that comes over my, my dreams that are from my heart. And I know that that's the dream that comes out of my heart. Um, and so, and then I use those dreams to, to pray through things in my heart. So they all have purposes. So it's, I just want to encourage you that it's really just a matter of you practicing and seeking and asking and um, developing um, a language, developing a grid to be able to um, understand what the Lord is saying. I mean, the other thing I would say, I didn't know, did you have more? Oh, I mean, the other, I mean, when it comes to, there's a mercy that God has for when you're, when you're trialing and erring, when you're trying to figure it out, when you're still learning, God, you know, he remembers that we're fragile. We're made of dust, ladies. You know, it's one of those things where you, we, we have to understand that God's not going to, like, you missed the interpretation of your dreaming. You know, he's not, you know, not going to come down and smite you all of a sudden, you know, and, you know, bring judgment upon your household or, you know, you're not going to have a flood in your kitchen, you know. Um, it's, you know, it, God's going to be graceful towards you in the process of learning and everything. And, I mean, in, in that also, I mean, it's not, you know, um, I look at it as well is, you know, when it, because, you know, oftentimes we do have a tendency when, especially if it's a dream of correction, it's automatically not for us. Um, it's for you and not for me. Um, and so that, like, that's how we go. But, you know, scripture also says, that, why are you so concerned with the speck in your brother's eye when you have a plank in your own? Yeah. You know, and so, you know, in, especially in the beginning stages of dream interpretation or having your own dreams, and as you're developing your dream language, um, you know, and figuring out how God speaks to you through your own dreams, uh, you know, vast majority of the dreams are going to be about you. Um, they're they're going to pertain to who you are, and when God's going to use ver- various um, things throughout your day, like Fee was sharing, you know, and as well as, um, you know, like I said, there's not going to be like a whole, like, like God's not going to be like, you missed it, you know, and then like, you know, whatever, you know, he's not going to be all angry at you about it. He's, no. There's going to be grace. There's going to be mercy in, in the process because we know in part we see in part. I mean, I, if, if, I, if I had to count how many times I was wrong on a prophetic word for somebody, you know, I, you know, they would outnumber the stars in the sky. Um, and so, you know, it's, it, it's a learning, it's still learning. It's always, you're always going to be in a constant place of learning and developing that, that relationship with God. It's just much like a relationship. Like, even if you think in the, in a marital sense, you know, you guys have been married for a number of years now and it's like, there's, st- are there still miscommunications and like, oh, I should have understood this a little bit better, you know, or, and that's the same way with God is like, there's going to be times where, where we thought we heard something, but really it was like, you know, it wasn't that at all, you know, whereas like we had a dream about peanut butter and we thought peanut butter was evil. Then all of a sudden we just realized that, you know, God wanted us to get peanut butter or whatever. So, well, just speaking of marriage, my wife has dreams and the Lord, as Adrian was saying today, how you can be too close to your dream mm-hmm. to recognize anything. And uh, my wife has dreams, and the dreams, God speaks to her to rebuke me. (laughs) Um, 
My wife's very good at that, but somehow God <laughs> uses her. I mean, she sent me something today saying, she's just sent me a, a text of a video saying how ex no exercise causes brain damage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's a character, but... but <laughs> But my wife, God speaks to my wife, truly, because I'm too close to it. But, for example, she had a dream that... And I would never, ever think of doing this in the natural. But I had a dream that I was... She had a dream that I was selling cigarettes to a 10-year-old boy. And I'm going... And I knew what that meant. I went, oh, okay, Lord. Now I would never do that in the natural. But there's a parable behind that. And what I used to do, because we had... A, I was on staff with Field of Dreams in Adelaide. And I used to come home because running a church is a challenge, you know. And I love the people, but sometimes it can be challenging because some people that, you know, God really you ask for love. Lord, help me to love the people. Okay, he sends you the worst people, you know. So, <laughs> but um, and I come home and I offload some stuff to my wife, but my, my son would overhear it. And... I had to repent. And there's nothing wrong with discipline and repenting. It's nothing to do with salvation. It helps you to grow and mature. And God wants us, and then like as you were saying, if we're not getting discipline, we're, we question ourselves where we're legitimate children of God. And what happens is cigarettes can mean a metaphor of an offense. So my son was taking on the same offense. So I had to be very careful what I share and offload when I get home. So does that make sense? So if I had that dream or God was telling me, I wouldn't have recognised, but my wife would often get the dreams like that. So it's very good and it's, it's unusual, but it's very good. Excellent, excellent. We have to like, be careful with how I'm chatting to the people in the, in the Facebook. <laughs> so, uh, but we have to you know, be careful as far as not to, you know, how we're viewing the dreams and everything like that, that it, you can't be too close to it. You know, it's kind of like, when even when and sometimes I mean we could be too close to situations with people too, not just ourselves when it comes to dreams too, you know. Um, but uh, let's let's see here. I like this question. Um, you guys mentioned about like psychic fairs and stuff like that. Have you guys had any experiences with going out into like doing dream interpretation or in psychic fairs, New Age festivals, uh, and things like that? And then the um, the second part of the question is that they. Uh, they cohabitate with somebody who says they're a psychic. Um, like, how would you suggest kind of navigating around that? Their, their roommate's a psychic. That's a good question. And you may be asking or wondering whether you should go and be involved in those sort of things. You know, entering into that for the first time stretches you. The first time that you step out to do a dream interpretation and you haven't done it before, it will stretch you. Uh, like Fee has been saying, God develops uh, um, your vocabulary or your language to receive from God. Likewise, he will stretch you in understanding that vocabulary. And, and you go, well, I don't understand what that means. And suddenly he will stretch you so that your, your grid becomes bigger. Adam and I have both stepped out and we have done psychic fairs. And we have seen witches, warlocks, clairvoyants, psychics all come to the Lord through our involvement in dream interpretation booths at psychic fairs, New Age festivals. We likewise have run conferences and people have received such a download from us that they now also, and they may well have had a burden and they may have been involved in that beforehand, but what we can tell you is that people who have been to our conferences gained, gained an impartation and a, a confidence to step out and start doing that. And so in a number of the cities in Australia and in America, 
out of Denver and also out of uh, Queensland, uh, Melbourne in Australia and Sydney, the, the psychic fairs, we have people who have attended our, our conferences and are now stepping out and doing inter interpretation at those things and seeing incredible miracles take place, yeah. testimony after testimony. And, uh, you know, the thing is, it's not to, who is greater who is, is he in us than he is in the world. Right. And Adam always says, and maybe I should leave that for him, about demons are not suddenly going to jump on you if you go to a psychic fair. Because we, we carry the, the Lord of glory within us. All right? So we shouldn't be... And I don't want to steal his thunder. Well, we, I've always said that, you know, some people say to me, <gasps> some of these religious people go, you're going there, you might catch a demon. It's like it's not a cold, you know what I mean? They make soap for that. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> It's like you've got to realise your authority that, you know, as John, as, um, John, as Adrian too. was saying, Thanks. that uh, greater is he that's in us than he's in the world. Once you know your authority and who's inside of you, you, know, you go in there and it's a light turning on in the darkness and uh, you have that authority. Again, with my wife, she doesn't like going to the markets with me. She said, I don't like going to the markets with you. And I want to say markets as the, gross, you know, the grocery store where I remember just walking through the place and a woman looked at me and she was, she gasped with air and started shaking. She fell on the ground. She got delivered just by looking at me. And my wife goes, I hate it when you come in the markets with me. <laughs> I just want a normal life. <laughs> no, but, um, but what happens is you're the light turned on in the darkness and the cockroaches scatter. So we do this a lot and we love it. We actually have witches, as Adrian's saying, manifest, getting delivered. But the thing is... It is a great evangelistic tool, dream interpretation. Let me tell you, it's one of the best. Because the times of standing on a soapbox and saying, you know, God hates sinners, you know, being very condemnation. Like you see some of these pre street preachers are just with a wrong spirit. And I think those days are over where I really believe we can have a strategy to have wisdom. And it's about building relationship and interacting with somebody and, uh, and I believe there's a time and a place for, don't get me wrong, some street preachers out there, if you're going to write spirit and you have a strategy and a calling from God, go for it. But I've seen some horrors, you know. But, uh, but with dream interpretations, we actually reveal the dream. Interpret we don't say Jesus at the beginning. We say God's saying this, he's revealing this. And most of them go, that is exactly right. That's fantastic. How, how did you know that? And then what we say is that we're going to, we say, we'll lay hands on you. And you're going to have an encounter with God. The, the God's spirit's going to come upon you. And if that doesn't happen, see that little booth over there? You can complain and say that we're fakes and make a complaint to the head of the psychic fair if you want to do that. And they go, okay. So they, we lay hands on them. And they, most of them will go, oh, my goodness, what's that? And you go, well, that's Jesus. Yeah, come on. <laughs> that's the Holy Spirit. And, G and it's so much easier to lead them to Christ. And, and come into repentance when they have an experience. Yes. And they actually have the prophetic word and then the experience release. We, we had about 38 decisions in one day yes, for right. Christ at the psychic fair. I don't know if you've done anything like that, have you? I haven't. Maybe you should come out with us. But, no, but, but it's not just confined to a psychic fair. My wife went to the hairdressers and... Uh, she was. They really need it there. They do. They need. To, <laughs> be careful because a number of people at, at our conferences have been hairdressers uh, in this last tour. Yeah, I preached until I end up like this. <laughs> you went to too many. <laughs> so what happened was my wife and two of my daughters went to the the salon, and the apprentice was there doing their hair, and she shared a dream with my wife, 
And she said, oh, that's interesting. My husband interprets dreams. So she texts me. She said, the, you know, the hairdresser, the apprentice at the hairdresser salons had a dream. And I said, okay, that's interesting. And so she goes, well, and what she dreamt was that she was pulling out her hair extensions. All right. And so I said to her, okay, that's interesting. Let me just have a think through that. So what I did is I, I opened the scriptures and I said, God, where, where do we see hair coming out? Where do, we, you know, do, do, pe- do people pull out hair extensions in scripture? No, they don't. All right. But what, what, does, what is a depiction of that somewhere? And we know that um, David and his men and, and Jesus, for example, in Isaiah 50 had the beard plucked out. All right. And, and um, remember that David's men had their beard shaved off of them, you know, as in, like it was um, not so word intimidation, but it was, a, it was a defamation of them in a way. And so I said to my wife, because I was thinking, this is my thinking, I was thinking it wasn't her hair that she pulled out, but her hair extensions. And I know that if you're a hairdresser, you are constantly changing the color of your hair. You're constantly changing the style of your hair because you're in that environment, and I understand that. So I, I, what, I, what I gleaned from that was that hair extensions are probably something that's taken place in the, play, in the salon. So I said to her, I saw hair, hair being pulled out as a sign of abuse. I said to her, Could, would you ask the apprentice whether feel, she feels like she's being abused by the salon? So, and she went, ah, oh, your husband's a psychic. And the reason she, she said that, and I'll explain what we are in, in, a, in a fashion when we say psychic, I said to her, um, the reason why she, she went aghast like that is because the owner of the salon had left. It was her 17th birthday. Her family were home waiting for her to celebrate with dinner, and so they were waiting for her, and she was left there with the responsibility of doing my wife's hair and my two daughters' hair, or two of my daughters' hair, and she didn't want to be there, and she, in her heart of hearts, she felt like she was being abused. So that's why she said, she, you know, so the dream depicted that. I said to her, tell her that we're not psychics, but tell her that we are sidekicks. We're Jesus' sidekicks. Amen. Awesome. Did you have any evangelistic stories like that? Um, I was in a writing community for a while, and... Um, and I, I, I write poetry, and I would write it. Um, in a, I would write it actually out of my dreams, and um, and I would use the um, the the parables and the and the enigmas and just the dark sayings, um, and I would use the sound that I heard in the dream with words, and uh, I started putting that in my poetry, and it started attracting all these uh, witches and uh, satanists and uh, people from who were secular and. Um, they started reaching out to me and um, just, you know, saying how there was a supernatural realm in my writing and that they could feel it. And it would actually, they would go into visions and, uh, and see things. And so I've had, um, you know, and that was an on-ramp for me to actually talk to them. Whereas before I would have seen them and perceived them as an enemy, I realized that there were just really people who don't know the Lord and they're outside of their calling. They're on the, on the, on the, on the wrong side of the fence, so to speak. And, uh, and I think that, that that's one of the, the major steps that we need to take as believers if we're going to reach out to these people who are operating in supernatural giftings but, um, but are, you know, are not walking with the Lord is that we have to love them and we have to see them as a person of value. And, um, and even the, you know, 
um, affirm who they are and their supernatural calling and, and call them back to the Lord. And I was always very honest. I'm like, look, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. Jesus, to me, is the only way. I was very, I was very um, you know, adamant about that. Um, I never compromised that, but they, they, they respected that. And um, I didn't see any salvations, but I realized that they were much more open than I had imagined. Yeah, come on. Yeah, I mean, I think we'll see that people really are. I mean, when I was a pastor in Northern California, um, our church was like kind of hidden by the school, but, and there was a shopping center in front of us, and a psychic shop opened up, and like, you know, m- most good Christians freaked out. And, uh, you know, they were like, you know, what are we, we're losing our spiritual territory. Like, you know, somebody was all of a sudden like trying to break in or something to our church. And meanwhile, the whole time I'm like, no, let's rejoice. Let's celebrate. Like clearly we've done a good job opening up the heavens over our city for God to encounter us that they actually acknowledge the spiritual climate is way different than anywhere else. They could have opened up five miles away, but something about, they're not going to go somewhere where they feel like it's a closed climate. Um, and so even when you're going, like even, uh, I've never done like a psychic fair or any, anything like that. I've, uh, you know, played with a few psychics along the way, like in like, uh, like we had a, in San Diego, we had this whole area where it was a tourist place and pe- people would set up little booths and like, you know, melt crates and do fortune telling and, and all this sort of stuff. And I had one time where I, uh, I just, something came upon me and I was just like, I want, I, I want to go interact with the psychic and to see what happens. Um, like no intention of like doing anything and just, and so I walk up and, you know, she's like, what's your name? And I'm like, well, you're supposed to know this. Like, we're already off to a bad start. Um, I, am I going to get my money's worth now? Like, you're supposed to tell me if I'm going to find love. And, uh, you know, what are the lottery numbers? And, um, and so she, do, she does her whole thing. And, like, all of a sudden I notice that, you know, this wind blows in between us and it knocks over all her little statues and figurines and troll dolls and crystals and all this other stuff that's there that she's like, you know, apparently pulls power from and this wind knocks them all over. And I'm like, ah, I see where we're going. And like, I knew God was right there in the midst. And I'm, and I'm literally just sitting there and I'm allowing her to read me. She's trying to and like her eyes are rolling in the back of the head. Well, comes and, you know, for where I'm about to leave, and I go, you know, I do something similar, and she's like, what? I was like, oh, I've studied dream interpretation, energy healing, like, speaking her language, helping her understand um, that, you know, like, I'm not against her, and uh, I'm for her, like, I I want to reveal Jesus to her, and through that, uh, she allowed me to pray for her. Um, I began to just tell her about her own life and like how she felt like her energy levels were down and uh, all this other stuff that we were able to discern just because I opened up the door. And at the end, like I didn't lead her to Jesus. I taught her how to invite Jesus into her craziness and where she was like, you know, I feel like my, you know, my life is a, in a carousel. And I was like, when you don't have peace, just invite the Prince of Peace into your room. And she was like, really? And I was like, yeah, peace is an entity. I was like, and she goes, I've never thought about that. I was like, yeah, just invite the Prince of Peace into your room next time you feel like you're having anxiety or something like that. And she goes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go home and do it. You know, because like her guru wasn't helping her. And that's probably because her guru is also her boyfriend. So that makes a weird relationship. And so, um, but like, as I left, she was like telling, she wouldn't let me pay. 
Like, I still wanted to bless her financially, too. And I was like, no, let me, like, bless you. And she was like, no, 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 no. Like, it's, I should be paying you. And it's like, but, like, it, we don't, there's nothing to be afraid of. Like, it's the gift from a, from a, a familiar source, but God's going, they have a gift. We just got to tap into the right source for them. And so it's, um, you know, don't give up on people. Like, you know, yeah. go, go into that, you know, know where you're at in your own walk, in your own life with it. Be honest with yourself uh, in that. But don't be afraid. Like, you, you know, like we were saying, like, he who is in you is far greater than he who is in the world. Exactly. Like, you have the spirit of that resurrected Christ in you. What do you have to fear? Like, this, the spirit that resurrected Christ conquered death. What's a psychic? You know, and it's just somebody that doesn't know who they are yet. Yeah. Can I just add to that? We, yeah. We were in the Delta Lounge uh, in Los Angeles, and we were sort of, you know, this waitress was just mucking around, having a bit of fun, making her laugh. And she said, what do you do? And I said, uh, you know, I told her that we were ministers, and uh, we, but she stepped back and she went, oh, because we were sort of, you know, having a bit of fun, laughing about stuff. And then she stepped back, she went, oh, well, you're not going to like me after this. I said, why? She said, I'm a practicing witch. I said, well, you couldn't be all that good because you're still practicing. <laughs> and that broke the eye. She laughed. But then I said, well, that doesn't matter to me. We could still be friends. And she was taken back by it. So we just loved on her the way Christ would, like the woman of the well. You know, we just sort of ministered to, we just started talking to her and, and still befriended her and she opened up and then, I mean, some people would freak out about this. You need to have the confidence before you do anything like this, mm-hmm. you need to have the secure and confidence of who you are in Christ. Right. right. So don't play around with any of this unless you have this rock solid revelation. But anyway, she we became friends on Facebook and she watches quietly everything. But now she's actually asking for prayer. That's awesome. You know what I mean? On the mess in the messenger. Uh, so this is you know we gotta greater is here than you than he's in the world. And these people, God loves them, and you can't be fearful of them. And really, it's just smokes and mirrors anyway. God created her, and we just want to love on her the way Jesus did, mm-hmm. or does, I should say. So I thought that Fee brings up, brought up a good point there, and that is this: that sometimes people, she might have not have articulated like this, but I just want to carry on from where she said, sometimes people have a gifting or an inclination and if they don't find an opportunity to express that in the church and the church is religious, where do they go to express it? They'll walk away from God and find an avenue to express it elsewhere. And really, you know, the psychics are the prophets within the church, you know, but they've just been misguided and they've been empowered and they're looking to the wrong source to... You know, they've got an inclination within them to be receptive in the spirit realm. Right. All right. And so ours is not to necessarily just reject them and get all spooky about that. We do recognize that they need to come to Christ and they are different from us. They don't have the spirit of God. But God wants, you know, we've seen churches, particularly in Australia as well. I'm thinking up on the east coast of Australia, way up on the east coast of Australia, where it's a bit hippie and they embrace everybody. And they, you, you get warlocks converted and becoming Christians. You get, and, and the church is open to that, but they're strong enough to realize who they are in Christ. They're not overcome by that. You know, they can embrace that and then lead them through that into their Christian experience because most people's Christian experience is rejection at their gifting. 
We found a lot of, and I don't like using the terminology, but we found a lot of backslid Christians going in psychic fairs seeking other means. So it's for, haven't we found that? A lot yeah. of backslidden who were prophetic. So. And there's a truth in that too, is that all of us want to know our future. You know, everybody wants to know what's down the road for us. Yeah. And the world wants that. When, when we may not know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. Without, without being too cliche, but that's true, isn't it? Yeah. And so if we're connected, then we can, for want of a better word, we can speak to him. I was going to say tap in, but we can speak to, to God and God can speak through us to that situation. I mean, as you mentioned as far as, you know, like the, they got hurt by the church, rejected by the church. You know, it's like I always think back, you know, Marilyn Manson, before he was Marilyn Manson, grew up in church. And he was a creative individual, artistic individual then. And but the church didn't at that time. I mean, you got to think back. He's probably in his 40s right now. So when he 30 years ago that, you know, 30 years ago, churches were barely accepting drums. Yes. And churches, let alone, you know, other artistic, cre creative nature that they embrace now. You know, now churches are like, you're creative, paint a mural on our back wall. You know, and, but then they, musically and things of that nature, and he ended up leaving the church because he was so rejected and dejected by the church uh, for that creative nature and who he was then as a young, as a young boy. Yes. I mean, and it's, you know, some, so sometimes we have to look at it and going, well, you know, people are going, you know, feeling like psychics are against the church, but maybe it was because the way the church treated them. That's good. Yeah. Why they're feeling in that way and feeling in that nature. And, you know, they're just looking for belonging and acceptance. And we, we, we've been given, you know, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that we've been given the ministry and the charged with the word of reconciliation. And so it's like our obligation to bring reconciliation back to those who maybe be out, you know, feeling like they were put out by the church. So, amen. Let's do this. Let's, because uh, I want to hear just from you, from you guys, and I'm sure they would love too as well. Like, something, something that you can share publicly, but like, like a, an obscure encounter. Like something like where <laughs> we all point to fee first. Because we've been bumping our gums too much. It's your turn. <laughs> we yip-yapping. <laughs> oh, one that I can share. Publicly. Publicly. That I haven't shared before? Yeah. Oh. That we haven't gotten an email about already. That we, <laughs> that we haven't seen on Facebook. Um, gosh, come back to me. I have to, I have to sit on it for a minute. Do you want me to kick it off while you're thinking? Do you want me to do one while you're yeah. thinking? Okay. Did you want to share anything? I'll share something, but you go, you go first. Okay. Well, the one, the most major one that I've had is, and I've regularly uh, have encounters, I've had had encounters being at the Lord's table, uh, heavenly encounters. And I've seen the Lord in different forms. I've seen, I've, I've seen him as a Jewish man. Uh, I've seen him as a king of glory. Uh, with a crown, and the crown is almost like a shield with jewels coming down the side, and his eyes were just like, as just the most beautiful blue eyes of love. But he was just the king of glory, and every time I talk about it, I get a bit choked up because I'm overwhelmed of how beautiful this man is, or he is, yes. And uh, but then I saw, I had an encounter of a man, man at the end of the table, or I should say, an angel. But I thought it was an archangel. I thought it was a very powerful. Archangel, and there was a company of angels behind him. Uh, 
But then it turned out it was the, the command of the Lord's host. It was the Lord as Joshua saw him. And, uh, and I, was at the, I was at the table and all I can explain is unusual cutlery and goblets were just really out of this world, you know what I mean? And um, the, he sort of handed me this goblet with, um, goblet with this wine, heavenly wine, and, he, and I drank it and I felt this impartation. And he said, this weekend the, the enemy is going to leave their post with some families. There's going to be deliverance with a, with, with a family. And as I drank this wine, I, I sort of snapped out of it and I felt completely drunk in the Holy Ghost. And uh, you know when someone falls down and laughs in the power, rolling around laughing, you know that the stronghold has fallen. Uh, that can be a manifestation of that. And I was in this meeting, it was in my hometown. I went, we did a conference in Victor Harbour. I had that encounter, which is an hour out of uh, Adelaide. And we come back to Adelaide and I announced this, I shared this testimony. So I sort of said, I'm going to act out by faith, giving wine, this goblet to... I mean, this is out there, but I'm just telling you, there's yeah. a testimony out of it which confirms, it backs it up. If there's no testimony, then you can send the men with the white jackets, you know what I mean? But um, I, I actually... These people were drinking by faith this heavenly wine and they were going down in the power, rolling around laughing. And there was a real drunken glory in the Holy Ghost. And this woman came up to me devastated really sort of beside herself. And she said, my mother's in a coma. She's brain dead. And uh, the doctor says there's no hope. And she's, she's shaking and just freaking out. So I just said, look, your mother's going to be fine. She's going to come out of the coma. She's, she's delivered. And the powers of darkness are going to leave your family. So I, I gave her this drink by faith. And she said she felt like this blackness lifted off her head and her eyes. And she fell on the ground she was, and she was just rolling around for about a half an hour laughing hysterically. And this, like, this is, she just found out about her mother, you know. Long story short, uh, next day she went, she, what happened is her mother had tape on her eyes when she was in the coma. And the doctor says no hope. And they were preparing the funeral arrangements. And, uh, but when she went to see her mother, her mother was sitting up and called her by her name. Oh, wow. And she was completely delivered. And uh, her mother actually was an atheist and she became born again. Right? And they cancelled the funeral arrangements. So, so that was probably one of the most vivid encounters and the most uh, awesome encounters with a testimony. I mean, there's many of them, but I just wanted to share that one. But um, Adrian? So, so this is not purely like an encounter that, that I've experienced like where I've met the Lord, but this is, it bridges the gap between what you've shared before um, Adam and I were dining on a sidewalk cafe in Melbourne, Australia, and we're sitting there, and I've worked with Adam so many years now, I know when he is picking something up, and he sort of goes into this sort of trance looking, and I go, you're, you're, you're getting something, aren't you? And he goes, yeah. He says, you're good, man. No, you know. <laughs> But he goes, yeah, he goes, there's a spirit of death here. And I went, oh, that's interesting. Okay, spirit of death. So the waiter comes to our table, and sure enough, we start to ask him questions. Has, has something happened here that is associated with death? And he says, wow, that's a funny thing you should ask that, because this building here is part of a ghost tour that they take throughout Melbourne. This building in particular used to be a brothel. There was a brothel next door. And the owner of the brothel got one of the girls pregnant, 
and the wife of the owner burnt it down and the person who was pregnant died there. Mm. And she said, he said, last year, someone fell down the stairs and died there. All right, so there's a spirit of death in operation there. So as we're talking, we're, we're just talking and then we're just enjoying our meal. Suddenly around us, either side of us, there was tables of people. I mean, this was freaky. Two guys next to us on the next table started getting louder and louder and their conversation was yes and there's actually there's more than four gospels there's another gospel the gospel of thomas and in the gospel of thomas god is a female and so on and, and we're there well that's interesting and then they're getting louder and louder and louder so that they were disputing the fact that god god was a man and it was just becoming anti-christ now we then adam and i just looked at each other and went okay that's interesting all right, so this place was like a portal. So we're sitting in this vortex, this place, having a, a meal, and it's a portal. Uh, yeah, an ungodly portal. And so what happened was, now, that conversation got louder, and then we started praying. It, actually, I don't think we started praying then straight away, but what happened was the, the, the focus changed from these guys on this side to two girls on the other side on another, another table, and they started raising their voices, and they were talking and criticizing the church. We went, oh, wow, this is like too, too coincidental to be coincidental. You know what I mean? And so we started praying in tongues, and they quieted back down again, and we, we, we gained control and rule over that portal. But often God will open a portal, like you shared about before, mm -hmm. and the enemy wants to come and camp on that. Isn't it funny that um, God's temple in Israel is on Mount Zion, but what's in place there now? The Dome on the Rock. And so the enemy often will try to encamp on something that was a godly portal and stamp his claim to that. And so I think that uh, we, you may have encounters in the natural realm. And, and you might think, well, that's just me. But it may well be that you've stepped into a portal or you may be experiencing something in a, on the spiritual plane that can be geographical portals and you and I are portals, all right, transportable portals. Um, if there's something that, if there's, if I can just say that there's a way that the Lord woos my heart is through mystery. I love mystery. Mm. And, um, and so I, I tend to gravitate to really uh, abstract scriptures. Let me give an example because I don't have my Bible with me. Um, or if somebody can look up really fast, Job 26. And um, let's see. Oh, here we go. Job 26. All right. So, <clears throat> okay. So there's this verse that I have been camped, camping on, and it's uh, Job 26, verse 7. He stretches out the north over empty space. He hangs the earth on nothing. And I had been asking the Lord. I don't know. I just felt so pulled to that, to that verse. Like there was this pull, and I would just... Uh, sit there and meditate. And, um, you know, the word is really a gateway um, if you engage it and you meditate on it long enough. You know, uh, Bob Jones used to say that if you meditated on a scripture, it would become a portal over you um, yeah. 21 days. Cool. So, um, so I was meditating on this scripture. And, um, you know, because, like I said, I am drawn um, by the mystery of God. My f favorite scripture is uh, Ecclesiastes 3.15, and it's all about this, it's, it, I mean, you should read it, but um, it's my favorite scripture. Anyway, because I don't understand it, and I don't know what it means. It just draws me deeper into the heart of God. 
And so this passage was drawing me in. And I was just kind of like, I was like, what does that mean? Like, my spirit wants to know what that means. So what does that even look like? And, um, and so I started asking the Lord, and I actually went into an encounter where he showed me um, this, uh, this translucent scroll um, that was, uh, it was, it was like translucent gold, and it was made of this golden thread, but all of outer space was in it. But there was outer space outside of it, space that wasn't space yet. That's the best way I can describe it. And there were these creatures that um, looked almost like uh, butterflies. They were just heavenly creatures, uh, beings of some sort. And they were lining the scroll, like they were on the scroll, and when they would move their wings, the scroll would begin to unfurl and unfurl and unfurl. And I, and I knew it was Job 26, verse 7, that he hung. So it says, he stretches out the north over empty space. He hangs the earth on nothing. And, I, and so I started pulling into this revelation of, like, the uncreated realms of God that exist. And so God started giving, building a desire in my heart to see the unseen in a different measure. Um, and not just the things that are unseen now, but the things that are unseen yet. And, um, and so there's this whole creative realm that God wants to bring people in. And it's the mystery of God that's going to pull those people into a greater revelation. But it's Jesus. All the mysteries are inside of Jesus. All the wealth of wisdom is inside of him. It's all inside of him. And, um, and I felt like the Lord showed me part of even just a new creation scroll. And, um, and so that's just the way that the Lord captivates my heart. But he, draws, he, draw, he drew me into a revelation of him as creator. And then right after that encounter, he took me into a council room. And I could see people in, in heaven who were already in heaven. I don't know who they were. They were like elders. And they were, they were holding, they were stewarding ages, the, an age of sound, an age of light, an age of just different ages of creation. Um, and they were, just, they were just enjoying the Lord and, and just stewarding these dimensions of God. And, um, and it was all out of this realm of the north. You know, that the glory, you know, scripture says that the glory comes out of the north and the dispensation of the glory, Ezekiel 1. And so I started pursuing revelation as to God, what are you doing in that realm of the north, in the heavens, like that region in the heavens that is the northern, the northern realm. Um, that's what I call it. And so all that to say that there is revelation that, um, that God will bring you into encounter that, um, into encounters where he will reveal facets of himself as a creator. And that was, he was, what, that was what he was doing for me. And um, I know that even John Paul Jackson used to say that the 24 elders around the throne stewarded different dimensions in the realms of the kingdom, like over time, light. And so I actually saw that, but in a different side of it. And it was more like a council. And so, um, you know, just... God is doing things. He's creating things, and he wants people to know, you know. Um, I mean, I didn't really glean anything like, uh, you know, any, any specific wisdom. I just left with the awe of God in the sense that I didn't learn, like, some scientific formula to, like, solve something. It was just something that I experienced that imparted to me the vastness of God. And I think that, that was, that's what creativity does. It imparts a, a revelation of the vastness. Because you see some a perspective that you didn't see before. That's great. That's very good. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, hold on a second. <laughs> wow. I think we just need to take a moment and take a lot of this in. 
Wow. And then there's the time dimensions, right? We yeah, only know yeah. three tenses of time, but God was saying there's more. It's because he's building eternity, right? It's life builds onto eternity. Wow. But we're limited for it because of our language, because it's, our language is like we have past, present, future. So we only think linearly, but the eternal language is different. Amen. So true. Do, yeah. you, want, do you want to open that up or not? <laughs> I, I like it. Uh, what, what, what are we opening? <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of, I'm already like, you know, I'm thinking about like, you know, was it like the, the story that Einstein discovering relativity and he just like kind of put himself in an empty space, like imagined himself in an empty space and began to walk out and to explore into it and... Uh, I'm just like, all right. <laughs> so I can link what uh, yeah. Fee, Fee is sharing there about focusing on Scripture and allowing that to, to muse on that and to soaking that, for that to be a gateway and a portal into another realm. But you see, uh, eternity is outside of chronological time, and, and re- Fee's made reference to that. We see, we see time as past, present, and future, but eternity is outside of that realm. And eternity is the fullness of time. It's not outside of time. It's the fullness of time. So everything that's ever taken place or will take place is in eternity. So you see in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus goes to Peter's house and casts out a demon. First of all, he heals Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. And then that night they bring to him everybody who's sick and demon-possessed. And with a word he casts out the demons and, and then everybody's healed. He lays hands on them and they're healed. Do you know that story? In Matthew 8, which is really the beginning of that gospel, of his ministry in the gospel of Matthew. Then what happens is this. It says that he did that. He cast out the demons and he healed the sick in accordance with what was written in Isaiah, where it says that he bore our sicknesses and diseases. So Jesus in Matthew chapter 8 is casting out demons and healing the sick in accordance with what was written in Isaiah 600 years before, that he bore our sicknesses and diseases. When did he bear our sicknesses and diseases? When? On the cross, from the whipping post to the cross, in the Passion, which had not yet taken place. So Jesus is moving in the cross before the cross. Because, wow. it, because eternity is outside of time. And so therefore, if we understand that uh, dynamic of the kingdom, the kingdom is eternal. And so therefore, we can access, the, the cross is our key to access. And you say, well, Jesus is the door. Well, Jesus and the cross are inseparable. If you talk about Jesus, you think of the cross. And if you think about the cross, you think about Jesus. They're one and the same. So what I would like to say to you is this. That when Jesus died on the cross, the Gospels only capture one or two dimensions of that, what took place there. But there are dimensions of what took place in the cross hidden in Scripture, beneath the surface of Scripture. And as we dwell and we meditate on those things and we apply the cross to that passage of Scripture, it will open a dimension that's in eternity that we can access and bring to this day. Yeah. Well, the blood of Jesus is eternal. Yes. Um, in the book of Exodus, when uh, Pharaoh was, uh, he had a principality behind him operating uh, through him. And when in, in Exodus chapter 7, uh, there, was the, there was a sign, and you wonder why the Nile turned to blood, which was the first sign. And the Nile turned to blood because it represents an eternal blood of Jesus, because the principality is operating through through Pharaoh was a water spirit. 
And when you read Ezekiel 32, it says that, it says, Pharaoh, you're nothing but a, a, a monster thriving through the rivers. So it was a principality that was behind Pharaoh that was, that was causing, that was actually intimidating the Hebrews, the people of God, and the actual Nile turning to blood was a judgment against this principality. And, the, and it's actually a sign of the eternal blood of Jesus. Isn't that awesome? And that's what's actually, and then there was blood at the beginning and there was blood at the end. And uh, so what Adrian's saying and what we're saying is that uh, there's no time frame with the kingdom of God. It's eternal. Amen. And I think to, just to seal that, remember in Revelation 13, I think it's in verse 8, it says that he is the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. So his death covers all of eternity, yeah. all of time as we know it, chronological time. Hallelujah. Wow. <laughs> Anything else? <laughs> so train A left Cincinnati going 16 kilometers an hour, and train B left Charlotte going 27. Where is pizza? <laughs> you guys liking this? Well, I, was, I guess so. I guess, uh, eh, you know, it's all right. I mean, we've, we've had better round tables. At least there was a table in the last round table you had. <laughs> we got a table. We got a table. Yeah, she's got one. She's got a round table. <laughs> wow, that's, that's, that's awesome. I'm like, I'm still kind of traveling in all of it. I love it. But, uh, hmm. If you could leave us, if this was the last session, but it's not, because we got like 18 more. Okay, like three. But <laughs> you're speaking all of them, by the way, all 18, because you know I mean? you're going to go in and out of time, remember? You're going to speak the 18th tonight, but you're going to speak, you know, anyways. Um, <laughs> but uh, if you could leave us with like a 20-second a nugget. That just, we leave this session going, huh, what, let's search it out. What would that be? We didn't pre-discuss this. This is me going, surprise. And everyone going, hold on. <laughs> okay. I've got something. All but right. It, it, 20 seconds is a bit short. Is it, Go for it. Is it 20 seconds? You know, we, we move into the... The land of God's promises, as Israel moved into the land of the promised land. So we've come out of, they came out of Egypt, they went through the wilderness, and they entered into the promised land. We have come out of the world, our Egypt. We're in a place of mind renewal so that we can step into the land of God's promises. Correct? The, the key verse for the children of Israel to enter into the um, promised land is found in Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. And Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 says this. It says, um, I humbled you and I caused you to hunger and I fed you with manna that you didn't know, that your fathers didn't know, that man doesn't live by bread alone but by every word spoken out of the mouth of God. Does man live, it says in the old King James. So that one verse defines for us what manna is. Manna is that which proceeds out of the mouth of God. So the Israelites needed manna, which is 
that which proceeds out of the mouth of God before they stepped into the promised land. And the one lesson that they had to learn was to search for manna before they stepped in. Because the one lesson that we need is the, we need the, the voice of God or that which proceeds out of the mouth of God, which is our manna, which is revelation. And this conference is called, you know, Prophetic Emerging Prophets and Revelation. The key, the whole key for this is this, that revelation provides the keys for us to step into the kingdom. Now, in that one verse, it says that, the, it says that you haven't known this and neither have your fathers known this manna. So if it had only been the forefathers or the fathers who hadn't known the manna, that would suggest that manna or revelation has the capacity to challenge a fixed mindset. Because we know that in the wisdom of hindsight, that in Numbers 13 and 14, they didn't enter because they were slaves in their own mentality. They thought, saw themselves as grasshoppers in their own sight, Correct. So manna has an ability to challenge the, what you think about yourself and the limitations and the ceilings you'll put on yourself. Manna will challenge those ceilings. But manna also will challenge this current generation. You haven't known it and neither have your fathers known it. And what manna does is it provides us a grid or a framework for us to model something that we can step into again beyond ourselves. So God can download a revelation to me, give me insight into something that's beyond my experience, beyond my expectation, and I can model that, I can frame it up, I can meditate on that, I can grow that meditation, I can envisage that, and I can step into that just as a tennis player perhaps practices his strokes until he gets that correct. And so his body knows the stroke out, you know, out of, you know, so, so well, as it were. We likewise can meditate on what God shows us so that we become to possess it. Amen? And God says in his word, begin to inherit it that you may possess it. Before we finish, I just want to just share, I'm not sure, I was going to talk about the fish, but maybe we can do that when we're interpreting dreams. We'll do some fish dreams. But... Um, I just want to just give it a bit of analogy. You know, the, the word of the Lord is, is amazing. It's layers of revelation on it. How many people read the passage of Scripture for so many years and all of a sudden there's a revelation jumps out of it? The word of the Lord is like a, a, a diamond. There's different facets of colors when you look at it at different angles. And uh, in the book of Acts, uh, Acts 22, when, when Paul was about to be flogged, um, by the Romans, the, the, Paul the Apostle was about to be flogged by the Romans and there was a Roman official about to give um, the order to flog Paul. And he, it's interesting, he, it was a surprise when you read this, he, he took up a different citizenship. He, he, you know, he was a Jewish citizen, but he turned and he said, is it lawful to flog a Roman citizen without being tried? And that alarmed the Romans. So they actually alarmed the guards and they thought, whoa, whoa, what are we doing here? This is actually serious stuff. And uh, what the Lord has shown me with this, and this is something I want you to leave with, is that um, there's a parable behind that. There's actually a message. It's amazing. I love the word of God because there's layers of revelation in this. Uh, Rome was a, it was a supreme power back then. It was, a, it was the superpower in that generation. And uh, a superpower in a dream or uh, in a vision uh, like America can be uh, a metaphor for God's kingdom. 
right? It can be a metaphor for, for that. And uh, when, when you saw this passage of Scripture in the book of Acts, when Paul, when Paul was about to be flogged, he turned and he used his higher citizenship, right? He was a Jew, but he used the supreme citizenship to save himself. And what this is something exactly we have to do is understand that we have, dual, we have a dual citizenship. Okay, we're citizens, you're citizens of America, we're citizens of Australia. We need that to function in this world. But the reality is you, ha- you are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. All right? And as you're coming into attack, some of you are having uh, family issues right now and you feel like these, these demonic powers of, of hell are about to flog you. And, uh, and you need to turn and say, do you realize is, lawf- is it lawful to flog a citizen of heaven? That's good, Adam. Once you actually take up that authority of who you are, demons will tremble, they'll be alarmed, and you need to actually come into that revelation that you are citizens of heaven, and there's no, nothing can touch you, and the demonic powers will be trembling, and you will be set free because it's already happened in the, in the, in the, in the realities of the, of the power of the cross. But you need to understand who you are, that you belong to the royal family, you're a citizen of heaven, and you're completely free from the judgment of this world. I could go further, but I just want to leave you with that. That's great. Something that I would want to leave you guys with, and this may apply not maybe not to everybody, but maybe to some of you. Um, you know, I, something that I started doing very early on, um, I started asking the Lord, I was like, God, speak to me outside of my box. Talk to me about things that I can't even fathom to ask you. Um, tell me the things that I don't have the wisdom to ask. And so I started pulling outside of my box, outside of my own framework, outside of my own experience, and even outside of the circle of ministry people, because I wasn't necessarily in a, a ministry on my own, but I was part of different ministries, and I was gleaning from different streams, but I wanted more. And so I started asking the Lord to show me, you know, to show me more. And I, you know, you have to learn, you have to really receive who you are, and, and uh, I had to receive the fact that I'm a very abstract thinker. I, I thrive in abstraction, and, um, and I, I really struggled with, uh, with a fear of being irrelevant. Um, I thought that I would be stuck in, in if, I min- if I was launched into ministry, I thought that I would be stuck in a corner um, just talking about, you know, th- this kind of stuff that, you know, but it was only going to be applicable to this group of people. You, you see what I'm saying? But the Lord had to break all those things down because no matter how he's wired you, even if you're, even if you're a very abstract person, in the fullness of time, he will create a context for your abstraction to be relevant. And what I mean by that is that um, if you look at how they land airplanes, um, they use the most abstract numbers, mathematically speaking, that a mathematician would be like, you know, these things really don't make sense, but they're math. Um, and it's not something that we can describe tangibly. You know, they, they actually land airplanes by using imaginary numbers. And something very, very practical and very necessary is used by the most abstract um, things. And so your abstraction will have relevancy in, in, in your context when it's the, your fullness of time. Those places in, in your heart where you are engaging the Lord and you're receiving revelation that um, is beyond the people around you that, you know, just just walk with the Lord and, and trust him that he will give you the relevancy that you need. And that doesn't mean that you won't have to grow and adjust to 
where he puts you. I'm just saying that you just need to receive the fullness of who you are, especially if you're a seer, especially if you tend to see revelation that is abstract and it takes you longer to process. And, and a lot of times even dreams apply in that, you know, you tend to be maybe more of an abstract person. And, um, so I'm just saying that you know, receive the fullness of who you are because you don't know who God will put you in front of. Um, you know, I, I've, I, I never thought, I have an actual, I actually have a, a, an English degree. You know, I, I'm a writer naturally, I'm a creative, I'm, I don't think mathematically, I don't think scientifically, I didn't have a, a, an inclination to technology until the Lord brought, until I started asking to t for him to take me out of the box and then he started building it in my gifting and now I find myself relevant to people that I would have never been relevant to in addition to everybody else does that make sense so don't limit God just keep pushing the envelope in your relationship with him not not in giving out words but just in who you are in him and pursuing his depth and allowing him to take you into the fullness of who he, who, who he created you to be I would say tying into that and tying into your message from last night is what I would say is who you are is an individualistic reflection of the characteristics of God. That each of you re re represent and reflect a characteristic of God in the earth that no one else does. It's like a unique fingerprint that God's left in the earth and that's who you are. And comparing yourself to somebody else or trying to be like somebody else is actually almost like, in a sense, an insult back to God because it's not honoring who he created you to be. It's not honoring in the individual that you are and who you represent. And like the greatest way that I look at it is this, is that if God, the father of light, represents himself by light, shines into the earth, and the earth is like a prism, we are the reflection. When you shine light into a prism, it's billions of colors that come out on the other side of it. And each of you represent one of those billions of colors that are in the earth and that you are what makes the earth artistic and creative and beautiful in that in that very light and that you are ref, you are that reflection and so it's important that you honor that reflection of who you are because you're not just honoring yourself but you're honoring the one who sent you you're honoring the one who created you we got to go back into the fact that before you were even in your mother's womb he knew you he knitted you together he fabricated every aspect of your personality and who you are and it's and he designed you in that way to be that way because you are a, a living epistle you're a living message that speaks to a certain people group, that speaks to a certain, you speak a certain dialect that other people may not ever understand. And so being who you are and who God created you to be is one of the, I think one of the greatest uh, things we could do in an act of living worship, everyday worship uh, that we could do to our father who created us. And so never, never, he's not apologizing for you. So there's no sense for you to apologize for being a little weird. It's, a, it's okay. I mean, I, I remember I was, in a, I was involved in a ministry, and they were like, who do you want to be like, you know, biblically, and who do you don't want to be like biblically? And I was like, I don't want to be like Ezekiel. That guy, just laying on his side, cooking food over dung. Like, that, that's a no-go for me. I, John, the beloved, that, you know, that, that takes a lot of confidence to be like, I'm the one who Jesus loves. But now it's changed, like, I want to be like Lazarus. Lazarus goes, my friend whom I love. It's like one of the few people Jesus calls by name. And so, but uh, I think that'll conclude today's afternoon session. That way we can get a little bit of a rest before tonight. I hope, bring, tonight is free and open to everybody. Post it on Facebook, 8180 Regent Parkway. Uh, just 
free and open, bring people that need dreams interpreted, people that need healing in their bodies, people that are skeptic, people that are psychic. Go down and drag them out and bring them here. Tell them you'll buy them a pizza, whatever. <laughs> and you'll, they'll, have dream, they'll have lucid dreams from the cheese they eat, whatever it might be. But bless you guys, and thank you so much for being a part of uh, this, this uh, table, this round table. And uh, thank you guys so much that are watching on Facebook, and uh, bless you guys, and we'll see you later on tonight at 7 o'clock.